Tonight's story on Slice of Disney is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. This, as you may recognize, is a podcast, still in operation, waiting for you to subscribe. We invite you, if you dare, to turn up your speakers and close your eyes, because in tonight's episode, Mark Silverman is the star. And this podcast travels directly to the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, featuring Mark Silverman. Time is now on an evening very much like the one we have just witnessed. Welcome to Slice of Disney, an awesome Disney theme park podcast. I am your host, Kelly Washington, Disney-obsessed enthusiast and real-life Tinkerbell. And I'm your co-host, Will Lentz, occasional Disney goer and not professional voice actor. You could be. You could be. I don't think I could. Not after hearing <laughs> uh, this interview. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Today is so, so stinking special. I don't have enough words to express how excited I am. Um, my cheeks hurt, so that that should give you an idea. We had the honor and the privilege of interviewing a Disney celebrity in his own right, Mark Silverman. Yes, it was super cool. Uh, Mark Silverman, uh, the voice of Rod Serling. Um, from the Tower of Terror, and as we found out, a couple other little Easter eggs throughout the park in a couple different areas. Uh, very cool and a really awesome guy. I, you know, w- w- before we, um, w- when we reached out to him originally, you know, we don't know a ton about his personal life, his personal story, his connection with Disney. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we were more than pleasantly surprised. Mark is an awesome guy, um, full of so much knowledge and uh, excitement. And enthusiasm. And enthusiasm. That's a good word. Good job, Will. Thank you. Um, but also, like, this specific thing was, it's not just any voice actor that we that's associated with Disney. Like, the Tower of Terror, uh, that whole thing, his whole work, uh, I think has, a, like, a special meaning for you, right? Oh, my God, yes. I mean... I'm particularly in a mood today. Um, it's been a little bit of a rough day. So things like Tower of Terror or my beloved Haunted Mansion, it's moments like this that they mean even more to me. Um, I know it's weird for some people, but hopefully if you're listening to Slice of Disney, you get it. Um, these rides aren't just rides. They're not just thrilling attractions. They mean more to me than that. And Tower of Terror is certainly that for me. It is every time I go on it, um, it's a a personal experience it it gives me um a sense of joy that i i don't know where else to find it and especially after it left and uh, guardians took over at me um when i go to florida and I, we talked about it a little on the tower of terror episode you know my parents obviously don't write it so we get to go use their magic bands to write a couple more times i've been on it by myself many times where I may be with someone who is afraid, um, <laughs> their loss. And I love going on this by myself because for me, this is, I'm beaming with excitement when I'm in that waiting room uh, listening to Mark talk as Rod Serling. Uh, and, and just the adrenaline is pumping. I'm so ready to get on this ride. Yeah, and I tease you, obviously, a lot. 
um, and specifically <laughs> about, uh, you know, you being in that waiting room and listening to Mark as Rod and reciting some of the lines along with him. Um, but that's all just like to, to show how like much you appreciate uh, this ride and, and your enthusiasm for it and your love for it. And I think uh, this, and I think one of the cool things about this interview is it feels like he has that same passion for it. Um, and, yeah. you know, it very, we talk about it later, but like it very well could have just been someone that like played a, played a role and kind of moved on with their life. And uh, it just happened to be a thing that they got through an audition, but um, it clearly was the right fit for him. And, um, and he was the right fit for it. So very exciting. Um, well, I'm not going to lie. Recording the intro, I'm like, I, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be the same. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm just little old me. And I, I try to make a little voice, but, ugh, you know, what a dream. So here we go. I hope you enjoy this magical interview with Mark Silverman as much as we did. Ah, okay. Um, well, guys, today we have... A very, very exciting guest, a huge Disney celebrity, Mark Silverman, the voice actor of Rod Serling from Tower of Terror, is here with us. Hi, Mark. Hello. Thank you. And glad to be here. Glad to be here, Kelly and Will. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on. Um, Kelly, you know, admittedly is a huge Disney fan and a huge Twilight uh, Zone Tower of Terror, as you can tell by her shirt, which our listeners can't see. Uh, um, yes, I am wearing a Twilight Zone Tower of Terror shirt because I had to rock it today. It felt sacrilegious if I didn't. <laughs> That's strong stance, but yeah. <laughs> I have my Tower of Terror mug I'm drinking. Oh, oh man, there you now go. I'm the loser. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm the one that doesn't have the cool stuff. Yeah, feel bad, Will. <laughs> I do, I do. Uh, well, first of all, Mark, we would love if you could give us a little about yourself. How'd you, where are you from? Tell us your whole life story. Right. <laughs> I grew up in Los and uh, my father was a movie producer. So we, we always had like show business in the family. And I started doing a lot of voices as a kid. I was obsessed with tape recorders and things. And I would record myself and do voices. And I was a huge Disney fan. I just loved Disneyland and Walt Disney World. And... I got this idea once when I was a teenager to bring my little tape recorder. I have it right here, the tape recorder into Disneyland. Oh so my cool. God. And, and with cassettes in it, you know, this is so long ago, it was a cassette recorder. They, you know, do people under 30 even know what a cassette is now? They, they just, <laughs> they, everything is all digital now. Well, I would go to Disneyland and record the rides. Pirates, Mansion, the safety spiels, the people mover voice or anything. And then I became truly beyond obsessed with Pirates of the Caribbean. And I knew every word to every pirate. And wow. back then in the seventies, you know, there's no internet. So you don't really know if anybody shares your obsessions, you know? And there's weren't really books and things, not like now you could just look up things and see Imagineers interviewed. It wasn't like that then. So I would right. call Imagineering when I was like 14 and say, tell me about pirates. Tell me how tall is the auctioneer? How tall is the sky? How deep is the water? I would throw so many questions at them and they were so nice. They would actually talk to me, you know. 
And all I wanted to do was something for Disney someday. And I became a voice actor. And I started about 22 years old. I worked for a radio station called K-Rock Radio in, in Burbank. Yes. Mm-hmm. We know K-Rock. Yeah, and I would, I would do impressions and things on the morning show. And I started to get hired by different movie studios to revoice different movie stars that couldn't make the session. <laughs> That's I, awesome. Yeah, like back then in the 90s and 80s, there were lots of movies on television where if they were cussing, you couldn't put them on regular network TV. Oh, so they would, they would try to get the actor back like Al Pacino to say the lines that he said in the movie, but take out the cussing and put in <laughs> more friendly words. But if they, could, if they couldn't get those celebrities, they would call somebody like me to come in and do it for them. And the first big job I had was they were putting a movie on, on television called Carlito's Way. Mm. And it starred Al Pacino. And it was from the director of Scarface, Brian DePaul. <laughs> And the, there's cussing through every scene, you know. So I had to sit there with headphones and say the lines like Al Pacino, but make it friendly. Like I would say, they'd give me three beeps in my headphones. And, the, and on the fourth imaginary beep, you know when to start talking because that's when Al Pacino's mouth will start moving. So it would go beep, beep, beep. What the heck is happening to you? And I and I would and of course the word <laughs> the word heck was the substitution word. You see what I'm sure. saying? Yeah. Yes. He would say something worse. So I was in there for like 15 hours that day. What the wow. heck is happening to you? Are you kidding me? You are gonna waste your time. And I would the whole movie, you know. So that was very exciting. So, so wow. Cool. I had a real ability to sound like people. You know, the first. When I was a kid, my one of my favorite shows was Get Smart. Mm, I watched and that. I'd walk around going, "Would you believe I'm Maxwell's small engineering system control?" <laughs> a lot of a lot of people don't know don't know who Maxwell Smart is anymore because it was from the '70s, you know. And I just loved sounding like people. So then, <laughs> all of a sudden, in 1993, I got a an audition came up to sound like Rod Serling. And the Twilight Zone was already my favorite show. I was going to Oh, ask. wow. I mean, yeah, you're answering like every question I was going to throw at you. This is amazing. <laughs> you just, not only are you a voiceover actor, you're clearly also um, a psychic. So, so. Yeah, I think I'm psychic too as well. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. But they, you know, um, when I heard, before I went into the audition, I heard it was a Rod Serling Twilight Zone ride. I didn't quite understand what that meant. I didn't, I thought like, how does sure. Walt Disney World have a Twilight Zone ride? Right. I, I did know about Disney MGM Studios. So it should have made more sense to me, but it, I didn't understand that then. But I went in, in Beverly Hills to some agency and I read it to some woman that was just starting out as an agent. She had a, a big tape recorder with a microphone. You know, it wasn't like a real studio. Mm-hmm. So. I read the audition into this tape recorder and I didn't feel terribly special about it because it wasn't much of a stretch. Just to sound like Rod Serling. My father kind of sounds like (laughs) it. So I I just read it 
And then you know how these acting things go. You do things and weeks and weeks go by. You never hear uh, it. Yeah, so I yeah. thought for sure there was nothing to this. I did it and I went home and that was it. And then I got a call like two weeks later from that woman saying that they wanted a second audition, but this time it was going to be at Walt Disney Imagineering. So I wasn't even, it was more exciting for me just to get into Imagineering and look around and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was like both things. I was excited about the audition, but really excited about getting into Imagineering. So on that first audition at Imagineering, what's really funny is they send somebody to get you and bring you to the recording room. And I always feel like I'm so rude because I'm never looking at the person that's talking next to me. I'm just looking at the walls and in the different room. <laughs> of course. It was like Charlie getting into the uh, Wonka factory, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was that exciting to me. I Trust me, I would be the same way. <laughs> you completely understand. I do, you know, I do. So, so after that audition, they would they called like at the end of the week and said, there was this wonderful casting woman that really knew how excited I was. And she would keep calling me like after every audition, say, Mark, they really like you. It's now down to 20 people and you're right at the top <laughs> of the list. And I'd say, oh my God. And then I would go back again for another one. And then finally there was one last audition between me and some other guy. And I had to read for um, Joe Dante, the director. He directed Gremlins and mm. uh, he directed a Twilight Zone episode in the Twilight Zone movie in 1983 that came out. So he was a big Twilight Zone nut. So I went in there and read and then when I left, the casting woman came out and told me that I got it. And it was really incredibly thrilling. And, wow. and they told me that Carol Serling, Rod's widow, also chose me. And that was thrilling. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I remember walking back to my car at 1401 Flower Street. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it, it was like my gonna fly now moment. I, it was like Rocky running up the stairs. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that my whole life with recording Disney rides on tape. And then all of a sudden I was the voice of a ride. It was so insane that nobody could believe that something like that happened to me. Yeah. I, you know, one for our listeners who aren't necessarily in the entertainment business, usually casting does not call you to keep you updated like that. Um, <laughs> you don't always find out immediately right after if you've booked something. So there seems to be a lot of circumstances where the stars just aligned and you were so meant to be for this. Right. You're absolutely right. And I think the casting woman completely understood my life and wanted to fill me in on this stuff, which I really thought was great. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was incredible. And I had to go in for the recording probably a few months after that, but I really had time to watch a lot of Twilight Zone and I really studied and practiced. And at that time it was before, you know, I had a computer or anything and Twilight Zone would be on channel five in Los Angeles. <laughs> I, I had a book with all the monologues and I would read it with Rod Serling, you know, like he was teaching. Wow. And I started to really get down the rhythm of it. And by the time the recording came, it went by pretty, pretty quick. It was pretty, pretty great. 
I did that recording uh, in 1993. And then what was weird was about three months after that, there was a big press thing for the Tower of Terror. And I had to narrate that too, where they oh. sort of had a mock-up of the ride, I think, and reporters came to look. And oh. then this is months after I did the first recording. And Imagineering called me, this casting woman called and said, you know, we think in, in all this, these months later that you're better than when you first came in. So we want you to do it again. <laughs> and so I said, sure, yeah. And they gave me the date. And about a week before I was supposed to go in, I got this terrible cold and I couldn't even barely talk. And I, and I said, you know, I don't really sound good today. Do you think I should just, uh, she said, come in, we already have the recording room ready for you sure and i went in and i read one line and they said ah, you better go home <laughs> so, so i did it was about two months after that i went in and did it again and that's the the recording you hear on the attraction wow okay one my cheeks hurt because i'm so excited right now uh i i don't, don't even know where to start um i think um this was a question I was going to save for later, but I think it's appropriate to mention now based upon uh, some of the stuff you just said. Um, I think it's really funny because if you ever end up writing on Tower of Terror with Kelly, like during your first spiel, like the, the, during, the, during your part, if you're standing next to her, you can hear her reciting the lines um, because she's been on it so many times and she has them memorized. And I just want to know, do you ever do that, Mark? If you ever go on the attraction, I would totally mess with people. <laughs> Oh my God! I go into regular elevators and do. <laughs> I, mean, I have gone into crowded elevators and office buildings, and there's a bunch of women and businessmen and everything, and the kids, and the elevator doors close, and all of a sudden, you were the passengers on the most <laughs> going to ascend into the twilight zone, and. I've had people applaud, you know. <laughs> it brings a little piece of Disney to everybody's life in the morning. But I, I have done it on the ride, of course. I do it in the pre-show. It's yeah. impossible not to. And That's what she always tells me, and then I'm like rolling my eyes. But it's actually, <laughs> well, it's actually very fun. I, I think one of the reasons I'm so excited is, you know, we didn't, we didn't know a lot about you personally. So for all we knew, you could be like, I hate Disney, and. This is just a job. So it's really exciting that you have a passion for Disney. Um, to jump back a little bit, like where did that start? I loved, okay, the movie Pinocchio to me was such an incredible thing. To this day, I think it is so obvious that that's the greatest, not only the greatest Disney animated movie, the greatest animated movie ever made. I it's loved beautiful. it so much. And you know, they would have on TV this thing. It, now, nobody under 40 is going to understand this. I hope, yeah, hope you get a grasp of it. This thing from all of us to all of you. And this would come on in the 60s and early 70s. And Jiminy Cricket would show a Christmas card of Pinocchio and Snow White and Peter Pan. And the camera would zoom into the card. And then you would see a five-minute clip of the movie. Now, mm. today, you could push a button on your computer and see the whole movie, so <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. But in 1970, to see a five-minute clip from a Disney movie was pure magic. And it was so dramatic to me. So then I just, after that, 
loving Pinocchio so much, I just loved Disneyland so much. And then my dad took me to Walt Disney World for the first time in 1980. And that was incredible. We stayed at the Polynesian Resort. Oh, you're fancy. (laughs) I can't say any Disney words like that without saying it like that. I I have to say the Polynesian Resort, the Contemporary Hotel. (laughs) Is that? That's not your voice though, is it? On the no, monorail? That, that's, that isn't my voice. I wish that was, though. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Um, but then what was great is I got to go to the premiere of the of the ride mm-hmm. in 1994. See, he's asked, he's literally answering every question that I have. We have like a list. It's like, oh, well, now he's on to that one. It's great. Yeah, and you know what's, what's also great is in 1994... I didn't have a computer and it wasn't like now where I would already see 9,000 photos of the ride before I went. Sure. So I didn't even, I had no idea what it looked like. Wow. The only time it was ever broadcast on TV before the opening was on the Disney Christmas Parade in 1993. Regis Philbin did a, uh, a little um, promo for the ride and that, that's on YouTube. You can find it. And that was something, but you still, I had no idea that there was a lobby like that. So I was at, I stayed at the All-Star Sports Resort and that place has a very special place in my heart. <laughs> I got to tell you. Of course. It's a, I love that place so much. So the bus comes for the big premiere and it was huge. All these, it was like a whole musical show going on at Disney MGM Studios <laughs> just for Tower of Terror. And of course, I had my same little tape recorder. And Carol was there, and all these uh, fireworks are going off. And after a while, after all the great food, uh, uh, a recording comes on, and it says, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Sunset Boulevard and the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror are now officially open. And of course, my heart just started beating like out of my chest. Yeah. I, wow. I'm standing in line with my tape recorder. I'm thinking I need to be recording my own voice. This is just bizarre. <laughs> and I, when I got into the lobby, I have to admit, which I don't say a lot, I got kind of emotional and I, I had like uh, tears coming. I couldn't believe that this was happening. That is so cool. Yeah, it, it was. It was one of really one of the most dramatic moments I ever had. I couldn't believe that this was happening. And then when I heard my voice the first time in the library, that was unbelievable. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was it was it was beyond my wildest dream. And then when I got on the ride and heard my voice, that was another thing. <laughs> and I I came off. It was like my own personal Twilight Zone I was in. Yeah, which is actually like sort of similar to the first episode of the more recent Twilight Zone, the plot behind that, right? Yeah. 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 Um, Will Will's referring to um, Mark was um, featured into the episodes of the new Twilight Zone movie uh, episode, um, season one, episode 10, which was, I think, the finale of season one. Mm-hmm. Right. Very dramatic. And then uh, season two, episode six. So, yeah, that one, I really I really like that episode. That was really fun. Well, the, the first episode, it, when Jordan Peele said he was going to do Twilight Zone, it's funny because I thought, shouldn't he know about me? Because <laughs> it was Rod's voice. Yeah. And then there I was standing on a dumping stage with Jordan Peele at Paramount 
Like it all just happened to happen. That's cool. And that was great. They brought back Rod Sterling through CGI and I voiced him in a very dramatic ending. And yeah. I got to narrate that last episode. That was great. But in the next episode that I got to do, they wanted to recreate an old uh, Rod Serling uh, documentary that he used to do these things in the 70s. But then instead of being a Paramount, I was at a little tiny booth in Burbank that was all sanitized because everything's different now. Oh, That's yeah. That's what we wanted it, to ask about. Yeah, that was during COVID. Yeah, it was just one other guy in the entire studio and everything was in like a little plastic baggie and I, it was just crazy what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like a Twilight Zone, which is so It, it really is. Yeah. yeah. I think it was really fun watching the first, the the finale of the first season because we both were watching for you, like specifically, we're like, he's going to come up. And then like, you know, part of the whole episode is like, there's this blurry man. It's like, who is it going to be? What's going to happen? And so it just kind of kept building up to this kind of reveal. Uh, and so it was, it was very cool. It was very cool. I actually made a little recording about the virus. It's a 40-second thing on YouTube no that you could watch. And it's really eerie. And it's one of the best things I feel like I've ever done. It's Rod Serling on the, on the uh, virus. And uh, I'll send it to you afterward. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in our show notes so our listeners can check it out too. I, I wanted to ask you, in doing, you know, in becoming Rod Serling, had you done this before you auditioned for Twilight Zone since you love to make impressions and um, try to do different celebrities? Only once. When I worked at K-Rock, if you remember the Telly Savalas episode with the doll, yeah. Takutina, mm-hmm. the scary doll, in the episode, yeah. the scary doll calls up Telly Savalas, this is talking Tina, and I'm going to kill you. you know, it's like <laughs> a terribly horrifying episode. Yeah. But, I, but when I worked at K-Rock in the 80s, I knew where Telly Savalas lived. He lived in the Sheraton Universal Hotel. So I called him one morning oh, no. on the air as Talkie Tina with Twilight Zone music. Uh-huh. And, and then I, I ended up narrating that as Rod Serling. We've just called Telly Savalas as <laughs> And um, that was the only time I ever did it, but I never really, it wasn't in my repertoire really, you know, That's it just cool. happened. Do you, do you have some characters that you had as favorites previous to this experience? I did. Uh, yo, how you doing? Just me Rocky Balboa. <laughs> wow, yeah. Hey, say Mick, how you doing? You know, I can't see it on the gut. And what happened was with Rocky, I ended up doing a lot of dubbing for Stallone when he couldn't make his- um, Sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) One of the best things, um, you can go on YouTube. I called up Mike Tyson. Do you know who that is? Yeah. (laughs) Fair question though. Yeah. Okay. I called, when I worked at K-Rock, I called Mike Tyson before a fight as Stallone to wish him luck. And that's still on YouTube. (laughs) So you can- Oh, no way. Yeah. You do that. You can type that in. I just found it. That's so fun. (laughs) <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I love, um, I especially love doing old con, uh, con, stuff of Englishman voices because mm. I, I used to, um, I lived in London in 1981 and I found a lot of the voices very, I have no recollection whatsoever of a strange little <laughs> man who ate my sandwich. Now, please, I prefer to be left alone. I would like to eat what has ever left of my lunch in Britain. <laughs> I really picked up on that. So, Disney, they were doing the dub of Miyazaki films. Mm-hmm. 
Howell's Moving Castle. I was going to ask about that. And they they brought me in for that. And I had a very natural way of doing that. You know, there's a scene in the movie where Christian Bale turns into a king. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it's me. And I'm thinking Christian Bale's pretty darn versatile. He couldn't just be a king. <laughs> that is actually very funny. <laughs> yeah. So, so after Christian Bale, this is before he really got that famous, but once he started winning Oscars and things, I thought, wow, that's pretty satisfying to know they had to get me. Yeah, they're like, you can't pull it off. Mark. Yeah. That's yeah, great. He's got it. And um, was that because of your relationship with Disney from working together on Tower of Terror? It was with this casting guy named Ned Lott, who really is incredible and he was at Disney and Ned Lott cast me when they were doing putting Bambi on a platinum DVD and they wanted friend Owl to narrate the stories and I I always could sound like an old man and the friend Owl voice is basically an old man you know so they, they hired me for that and I got which was an actual Disney character which was very exciting and they expected he said they expected an 80-year-old man to walk in. And then I walked in, <laughs> walked in. This is like 17 years ago. Wow. And, and friend, oh, it just sounds like an old man. Baby. <laughs> my, my. Uh, just the other day, we was wondering whatever became of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so jealous. I wish I had that kind of uh, talent and, and and obviously hard work that goes into it as well. But... Well, well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, never, I never thought my old man voice would come in handy, but it really did. You never know what weird thing will come in handy, which is another Disney story I have. Where Ooh, please. As a kid, I used to watch a lot of My Three Sons. I'm sure you don't, guys don't know what that is, do you? I don't know, unfortunately. I, I know of it, yeah. It starred Fred McMurray. Do you know who that is? Yeah. Fred McMurray's like the flubber guy and in all the Disney movies in the 60s, you know. Fred McMurray, you know. So mm-hmm. I, used, <laughs> I used to do this voice just for fun. I'm Fred McMurray and I've invented flubber. Along with Chip, <laughs> all the very breathy voice. But what happened was in 1997, they wanted to restore the last movie Walt Disney personally supervised called The Happiest Millionaire. And they found a scene in a vault that didn't have any audio track with it. So they needed to revoice Fred McMurray. And I was the only guy that did it because I sure. did. So wow. I went and auditioned and got that. So if you watch that movie, it's from 1967. For one whole scene, I'm the voice of Fred McMurray. It was that was another very exciting thing. That is super cool. You've had some really awesome and unique jobs. Yeah, and and here's another one. If you go to Pirates of the Caribbean, a Magic Kingdom, there's a game called Treasure of the Seven Seas. I've done this game where you take your magic bands and you have to scan it. Now, if you put your card by the helmet in front of pirates. My voice, sort of like Ricardo Montalban, says "Fuego, foolish pirata," <laughs> and the cannons shoot off the top of the pirates' building. Yes, uh, "Fuego." Actually, on YouTube somewhere, I'll send it to you too. You, I, I, I went to the <laughs> that actual voice, and I had a cast member film me lip syncing my own voice. <laughs> so, I'm very proud of it because I, on the airplane coming over, I was really practicing knowing the dialogue because it wouldn't work if I didn't know it. So mm-hmm. that was really thrilling because it's something to do with pirates. I, 
Yeah. So, I mean, this sounds like an obvious question now. Um, outside of Tower of Terror, what is your favorite Disney ride? Well, Disneyland's Pirates of the Caribbean is my favorite Disney ride of all time. I love Mansion. I love Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Spaceship Earth is incredible to me. Yeah. Uh, that when I I went on that when Tower of Terror opened, it was so dramatic. I I got chills. I couldn't believe how much I loved it. I'm you're like you're the same kind of Disney nerd that I am. Though you just named like my favorites. <laughs> I, I'm sure of it. I also loved Maelstrom. That's not there anymore though. We actually just we just talked about that. Uh, we did a Frozen Ever After um, episode, and that replaced Maelstrom. So yeah, yeah, I, I remember that was one of the ones I remember going on as a kid. Um, and I'm not a crazy uh, huge Disney person, but I do remember Maelstrom. Um, that was so fun. I loved it. You are not the first to pass this way. I thought it was very dramatic. I loved it. I even loved um, El Rio del Del Rio del Tiempo. The little boat ride in Mexico. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I loved it before they changed to Donald Duck, but I loved the Donald Duck version of the, the three Caballeros. I love that as well. Um, when was the last time you were at Disneyland or Disney World? I went to Disney World for some event for the 25th anniversary of Tower of Terror. And that was last year in October. And that was fantastic. I loved it. Ah, oh, that sounds so cool. And I got to, I got to stay at the Lake Shrine tower oh the, the one that's right next to the contemporary yeah the the new one yeah and yes that's addicting and i'll tell you why <laughs> everybody that knows disney world knows when you're dead tired and you come back and you go to that bus and there's like a hundred people already waiting yes oh my you, god it's really you just want to fall asleep right there but staying at the contemporary or the lake the lake um Lake Shrine, is that what it's called? Lake Shrine? Bay, I think it's the Bay, Bay Lake Tower. Bay Lake Tower, yeah. right. They, there's that little nine-minute walkway right to the hotel from Magic Kingdom. And that was so great. Because you're walking, oh, yeah. like, in nine minutes, I'm going to be lying on my bed, relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. The amount of times that I have fallen asleep on a bus after a day at Disney World, uh, I cannot count. There's too many. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard not to. I love it there so much. I love, uh, my favorite place in all of Walt Disney World is the World Showcase at night. Mm. Something about that, the, the energy the, the, that comes from the cast members and the, all the, the buildings and feeling like you're in different countries and eating all that food. Mm. Oh, man. There's that wonderful place in Japan that you can eat outside by these little streams and little... Uh, little lanterns and things and nobody's ever it's always really pleasant and no it's not a lot of crowds it's wonderful yeah uh that's actually one i have weird food allergies so it's one of the few places that i can eat and so i always go you're talking about like up you kind of go up it's yeah, like you go to the up. left and up some stairs yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> will will is judging us very harshly right now <laughs> yeah i mean I, don't, I haven't been to disney world since i was been very young but i'm uh eventually going to end up back there if kelly has anything to say about it oh for sure he, he's doing this podcast with me now he's stuck um did i i another question that i wanted to ask you a little bit of a of a turning point here um but we know that uh the sterling family had a big say in approving you um did you get to meet with them or have any interactions with the family 
I, I met Carol Serling at the opening of Tower of Terror and we talked and that was great. And then I, and I met Rod Serling's brother and he was there and that was great. And then I've met Carol at different events and she also executive produced this new Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. Oh, I didn't realize that. He has that. since passed away though, hmm. which was very sad. That's but right. she was yeah. wonderful. Uh, did, you, did you feel the pressure of impersonating her husband? Like... Well, I felt it gave me a special boost once I knew his, his, his a, widow chose me. So I always felt pretty good. I mean, she always was so uh, complimentary of me. At another Disney Christmas party a few years ago, I got to meet Dick Jones, who was the voice of Pinocchio. Oh, that's so cool. That, wow. was, a, that was another thing. I was like a kid meeting Babe Ruth or something. It was so thrilling to me to sit there with him and just talk about Pinocchio. What a nice guy he was, but he he had passed away a few, like a two years after that too. No, oh, that's tough. Uh, that is really cool to feel like you're you're getting to meet part of the family or be be part of the family too, of course, right? And it's just like to really fill fill and and, and meet all these people, yeah. Right, and one of my uh, good friends is Peter Renaday, and I have breakfast with him every couple of weeks, except not in the last 10 months or so. <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. Peter Renaday is the voice of Henry the Bear and the Country Bear Jamboree. Oh, that's oh, cool. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. You guys, so you just have like this little Disney family. Yeah, kind of, sort of seems like that, doesn't it? Bill Farmer's a friend, you know. Do you, uh, I guess that one question that we were curious about is like, what is it like when uh, when Mark goes to the park, right? Do you go with other people that are like also sort of uh, in the Disney family? Like what's your, what's a day in the park with you? I do sometimes, but actually most of the time I go to Walt Disney World alone. And I have, a, I have friends there that I'll meet for dinner and stuff. But a lot of my time in the parks is alone, and I love that time. And then I'll be with people, but I'll I'll get away, <laughs> be alone again. Going to the parks alone is an incredible thing if you're a huge Disney fan. You don't need people all sur surrounding you all the time. And I guess that's part of the way. If you're happy being alone at times, it sort of made this whole lockdown thing a little easier because you always could kind of uh, do hobbies and watch stuff, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I love being at the parks alone, but I also love being there with friends and all, but they have to be the right friends. They have to be people that truly understand it and love it as much as I do, or I can't go with them. <laughs> well, I think Kelly oh, would be one to go with you. I, I was I, gonna say, I, now I'm gonna make you be my friend and go. <laughs> I, like, I like the alone part. Um, cause it's, cause you just get to, I mean, there is so much to see and there's so much to consume and it's just like, I want to do it in the pace that I want to do it. And if I want to go look at this thing, I'm going to go look at it. And I don't want to feel uh, pressured to go hit something else. You know? You're exactly right. That's yeah. part, of, part of it. You don't have, you can do what you want to do. You don't have to hear someone say, I need to buy a sweatshirt for my aunt. <laughs> I'm hungry. You just do what you want to do. It's, it's really an incredible experience. Yeah. yeah. It, it's easy to get lost in, you know, your own enjoyment as you walk around the parks by yourself. For me, I like watching the fireworks alone. I That's like, that's me time. Like, go away. I'm having a <laughs> religious experience. <laughs> that could be a wonderful thing. I love all that, uh, the stuff that, that ends with at Epcot at the World Showcase is great. Yes, they're about to change it. I'm curious how that's gonna go. They're getting rid of illuminations. Illumination. I'm wondering how a lot of that stuff is gonna go, yeah. 
There's there's a lot of change happening right now at the Disney parks. Speaking of change, this wasn't an original question, but I have to ask. Okay, so do you hate Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, <laughs> I it, of course I was disappointed and upset, you know, but uh, had the Florida one not been there as the classic that it is, I think I would have been more upset, but it almost makes that more special and makes me more thrilled to get there because that's the only one that's like that now. Well, actually, the, the Florida one is the only Tower of Terror that moves forward through the fifth dimension. Yes. I, it's my favorite. Yeah. But I'm still like, I Guardians is, it makes me mad. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, just as I was never honestly like a thrill ride person. Like I don't really do roller coasters that much and I didn't really do drop rides. And I went to Disneyland the first time, you know, a handful of years back. Uh, and I, you know, ended up trying Tower of Terror. And honestly, like I'm not blowing smoke. I loved it. It was so much fun. Um, just the, uh, the entire atmosphere of it. Um, I think it's also helpful that most of the time I can't see how high I am. It's only very rarely that I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> now I should be scared. Uh, so I was very disappointed too. But I am, oh well, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I'm not great with a lot of roller coasters. I mean, I some cast members took me on Expedition Everest, mm. and I really I, I thought I was going to get sick. I I handled <laughs> it okay except for the backwards part, and I I really I I never went on again. No, I I'm the opposite. I'm like give it all to me. Like I love the thrill. <laughs> I can't do it. The most intense thing I can do is rock and roller coaster, which I love, but I can't do it again after that. It's like a one and done. Yeah, but I love it. It's that is so intense. It, and I know those freeways living out here. So it's, yes, it's kind of exactly. neat to see it in that weird, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, but you're like, I'm sorry. How did I get from the one oh like the 101 to the five, like this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. I mean, you know it that well that you're, um, you know, the streets are in the order of them and they're not. Yeah, they're not. I look, you know, I had to start a podcast about Disney. So my knowledge is. Uh, it was mostly say... so I could contain the amount of Disney information she would like share with me. I was like, all right, well, we're going to do a podcast. <laughs> you get an hour every week and that's all we can talk about. Wow. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, <laughs> I I think something that could be interesting and, and maybe there's something here maybe there's not um, we always talk about hidden Mickeys like the different types of like little classic Mickeys you see around the park in different areas and sometimes those are just straight up Easter eggs too and I wanted to know if there was anything that you had like any favorite hidden Mickeys or maybe any like secret things people one might not know about uh, your role that you played in, in in the short film or like any anything that you could share with us behind the scenes would be very cool okay well um in um in the Canada ride in Florida in 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 the Canadian pavilion, the circle vision, you know, mm -hmm. when people are looking at a redwood tree, you can hear me say, "Oh, look at that!" You can hear me mumbling in the background. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think that's, that's cool. the only that's the only thing I can come up with now. No, but that's, that's really fun. funny. Yeah. That was a, I'll be honest, that was a show that as a kid, my dad made us watch all of the shows at Epcot. He's like, nope, you need to see this. And I was always like, ah, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> yeah, my dad did that in uh, Circle Vision at Disneyland in the early 70s. Um, are you allowed to do a little of the Tower of Terror intro? Yeah, I can do it. I'll do a little of it. <clears throat> okay. 
Hollywood, 1939. Amid the glitz and the glitter of a bustling young movie town at the height of its golden age, the Hollywood Tower Hotel was a star in its own right, a beacon for the show business elite. Now, something is about to happen that'll change all that. The time is now, on an evening very much like the one we have just witnessed. Tonight's story of the Twilight Zone is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. This, as you may recognize, is a maintenance service elevator still in operation waiting for you. We invite you, if you dare, to step aboard because in tonight's episode, you are the star. And this elevator travels directly to the Twilight Zone. Ah! My life is made! (laughs) Oh my God! I do that every every night standing in my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) It You know what's really cool and speaks a lot to your talent is... Is that you? Your voice isn't that far off, but the fact that you know exactly how to get in there and and get into that nitty gritty detail to become him is—it's so cool to watch. Thank you. I, I've done that so many. I, I guess that's one of those funny things they say where you 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 don't get paid for just doing the job. It's all the practice and research that goes into doing that. You know, I mean, for every line you hear on that ride, I probably said it ten thousand times. You know. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I can't um, stop, though. It's like an addiction. I, I Every day I do it. And uh, I, I guess it's because I love the show and, and I love Rod Serling so much. That's really special, too, that you happened, that you loved Disney. You loved the Twilight Zone. And it, it was a job. It was meant for you. Thank you. Like, wouldn't it be disappointing if I said, ah, I went on the ride once? <laughs> <laughs> we, we did prepare for that outcome, just in case. <laughs> like, you never you know. know. I, I went to a, a, an Apathon, which, which is all the Planet of the Ape movies playing together. A few, I went a few years ago, and they had one of the actors from the, the third Planet of the Ape movie and somebody said, "What did you did you have a great uh, love of sci-fi? Did you?" And he says, "What did you?" He says, "Well, actually, during the filming, all I cared about was my check and where to have lunch." Oh. It, was, it was really like, why did he even show up? You know? Yeah, that's tough for the paycheck yeah. and to get some lunch. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, something something that I really loved that you talked about that I'd love to ask you really quick um, that you talked about in the beginning was how you would call Imagineering. I would like that is to me so awesome, and I love that they talk to you. They they would I would call so much they would come to the phone and say, "Yes, Mister Pirates of the Caribbean." <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And then I've met some of these Imagineers that I talked to at different events, and it's kind of funny. Like they remembered. Wow. Do you, do you have any facts that you remember from those phone calls that have really stuck out to you? Um, oh, that the uh, the water's two and a half feet deep. Huh. Oh, really? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, can you believe it? That's pretty that makes surprising. Sense. I've never I've never gotten <laughs> in it, so I don't know. You know it makes sense. You know what's funny? They once the for a while the talking skull wasn't there in the, for like a few months, and I called up Imagineering and 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 they they put it back, but it didn't have a bandana or an eye patch. And I called to tell him. I said, what happened to the bandana and the iPad? And the next time I went, it was back. And I, I always think that was because of me. It probably was. Yeah. That's great. That's one of your biggest, you know, oh, yeah, Tartare is great. But that's your biggest claim to fame at Disney. <laughs> Getting that bandana back. And it's still there. 
That's great. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome, Kelly and Will. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was. I, I loved I loved all of it. Ugh, I'm gonna glow for the rest of the day now. Wow. Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank Mark. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. Will. This is like the greatest Kelly. day of my life. <laughs> I'm glad I could be a small <laughs> part of it. Uh, this was this was really really special. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Mark and his incredible stories as much as we did. Yeah, it was one of those things where you never know what you're going to get when you interview somebody, and um, we we were blown away and loved it. He has such char- such charisma and energy and so many good stories uh you know thank you again mark uh it was so fun having you on yes thank you i can't i'm so glad i found another disney nerd like myself (laughs) (laughs) at some point he'll end up taking my job and that's okay (laughs) oh my god can you imagine like you could i could have a different co-host every week yeah good luck scheduling that (laughs) i mean i mean vocally uh that's very true As always, I would love if you guys would like, subscribe, share with your friends, Um, share this interview for sure, even if you're not um, as Disney obsessed as I am. This is just a really cool guy, and I hope that you enjoyed listening to his stories, and I think other people will too. Yeah, and if you want to, if you really enjoy this interview, make sure to reach out and let us know about it. If you have other people you'd like to hear on, we'd love to hear your suggestions there. Oh, Uh, yeah. do that. Um, at Slice of Disney on Facebook or Instagram or Slice underscore of underscore Disney on Twitter. And you can also email us at sliceofdisneypod at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much again for listening. All of your support means so much to us as we grow our Slice of Disney family. Um, Make sure to give extra love to your loved ones this holiday season and share a Slice of Disney. Key bye.